Pop Culture Affidavit, episode 91. Titans together? Hello and welcome to episode 91 of Pop Culture Affidavit, the podcast that covers everything random in the world of popular culture, which is brought to you by the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network. I'm your host, Tom Panneries. So last episode I was topical and current, sort of, because I did my annual coverage of the Baltimore Comic Con. This time around, I am staying on that topical type of thing and also staying on the comics beat because a couple of weeks ago, DC began premiering episodes of their brand new series, Titans, which is based on their classic superhero team, the Teen Titans. Specifically, the new Teen Titans, the classic Wolfman Perez version of the team. And I won't be watching it. Yeah, it's actually kind of sad when you think about it. I started reading The New Titans with issue number 71 in 1990. This is my all-time favorite superhero team and my all-time favorite superhero comic. I have read and reread my entire run of New Teen Titans and New Titans a few times over. I've completed a comics fan bucket list item of having some of them signed by both Marv Wolfman and George Perez. And I have an entire series of blog posts on this very website called My Life is a Teen Titan that is dedicated to my Titans fandom. But for all intents and purposes, this should be the fulfillment of a long-standing dream. But it's not. And I have to say that I'm actually not surprised that it isn't. It's not that I haven't liked the TV offerings that I've seen from the Teen Titans. I enjoyed what I did watch of the original cartoon, and I have enjoyed Teen Titans Go here and there, even though I'm getting sick of it now because of a number of times I've seen that show. But when the trailer for this show premiered, I was already kind of on the fence anyway. I don't really think I was that interested in seeing it based on just a lot of different factors, but I watched the trailer and that was kind of the last thing I decided to take a hard pass. Fuck Batman. Yeah, we'll get into that in a moment. But I was thinking about like why? Why am I not enthusiastic about this? And why am I meh about it? Meh. M-E-H. Meh. And I think it's a combination of two things. First and foremost... Fuck Batman. Okay, no, really, seriously. It wasn't that. Um, it was the trailer as a whole. It wasn't good. I watched it a couple of times, and the series looked like it wasn't wasn't created so much as it was assembled using Mad Libs and a 20-sided die of comic cliches? I, I don't know. The costumes look fine. The actors in the costumes looked like they were in the right place, but the overall feel of it was just so bad. It played into the terrible aesthetic that DC has like, leaned into with some of its movie properties in recent years, and didn't really feel like anything engaging to me. And that comes from the other thing, which is I haven't really read the Titans for the better part of like six or seven years now. Like I've said, I've been a Titans fan since 1990, and I collected and read the book up until the old DCU went away and the new 52 began, but then I walked away from the title altogether. Yeah, I, I dropped the title completely after about 20 years of being a diehard fan, and I did try out the Titans series that debuted with Rebirth, and it was actually decent, but not enough for me to like keep going and, and want to rekindle it. You know, Kind of like when you ran in, randomly run into an old girlfriend, and after spending some time together, you wind up remembering why you broke up in the first place. Thank you. 
Then her eyes flew open wide She went to hug me and she spilled her purse And we laughed until we cried So instead of dragging the series for another hour I'm going to completely rip off not one but two comics podcasts. First, I'm going to do what the guys at Back to the Bins do on occasion such as this and give you a score or a shameless coattails writing episode. Second, I'm going to do what Shag tells all of us to do, which is find my joy and talk about some of my favorite Teen Titans comics from the famed Wolfman Perez run. And I will start after this break. When do cheap comic books, right? Well, I'm Professor Allen, and I talk about cheap comic books on the Quarterbin Podcast. In every episode, I'll dissect a single comic from my collection, as long as I paid no more than 25 cents for the issue. Forget about $4 new comics that you can read in four minutes, or crossover events that can cost 100 bucks to collect. Join me in the Quarterbin, where even bad comics are a bargain, and good ones are a steal. The Quarterbin Podcast is part of the Relatively Geeky Podcast Network. Visit us at relativelygeekypodcast.blogspot.com or search Relatively Geeky or Quarterbin Podcast in iTunes. I guarantee it'll be worth every penny. Holy nightmare! So I think that if you look at the Titans trailer, the one moment that everybody held on to was... Fuck Batman. I'm not going to dissect that moment, because I think everybody else did on Twitter, except to say that they are obviously going with, like, Dick Grayson rebelling and becoming Nightwing at some point, and that's fine, because it's a major part of the Wolfman Paris Titans right from the very, very beginning, and it's a thread running through the comics I'm actually going to be talking about in this episode. But before I get to those comics, I do want to make a recommendation on a few Dick Grayson issues that are some personal favorites, and really encapsulate the Robin Nightwing experience. They're not part of what I'm going to be talking about here because the books I'm talking about are generally pre they're all pre-crisis and they encompass a particular stretch of the beginning of my Titans fandom, so they don't fit here. Honestly, I also really don't feel like using up all of my energy to make sure that I'm completely accurate about every detail about Dick Grayson and Nightwing lest I get a long detailed bat splaining email that's basically How's it I go from the verge of hot Floridian sex with Brandy to man of still coital debates with you in the food court? Kyrgyzstan is not part of the food court. Well, of course it is. The food court is downstairs. The cookie stand is upstairs. It's not like we're talking quantum physics here. The cookie stand counts as an eatery. The eateries are part of the food court. Bullshit. Eateries that operate within the designated square downstairs qualify as food court. Anything outside of said designated square is considered an autonomous unit for mid-mall snacking. Now, if you're going to wax intellectual about the subject... Plus, whenever you podcast about Batman, you have to remember your Miranda rights, and being reminded of your faults years later is something I already do to myself whenever I have these PTSD flashbacks to my high school and college years, so I really don't need my podcast mistakes on blast all the time. Anyway, if I really wanted to sit down with 
and talk Dick Grayson. I probably could try to do something where I look at the through line of the character that runs from Max Allen Collins to Robin Die Tonight in 1986's Batman 408, which I admit is not a very good comic book, but it is necessary as far as Robin's post-crisis history goes. And it would go all the way to the end of the, pro- of the Prodigal storyline in 1994 or 95. Uh, there's a one particular comic serving it as an epilogue to that, and really, you can do so many stories here. You've got um, you've got Robin Die Tonight, you've got uh, the the rise of Jason Todd, a Death in the Family, Year Three, a Lonely Place of Dying, the Titans Hunt, Total Chaos, Tim Drake's becoming Robin, and of course the whole Nightfall, Night Quest, Night's End, Prodigal story. I'm sure that you can drop a couple of annuals in there for some origins coverage, that sort of thing. But if you're not up for all of that and you really want a good set of Dick Grayson stories that really shows why he's one of the best developed characters in DC's history, at least in my humble opinion, I say all you need are these three. Batman number 416, The New Titans number 65, and Nightwing number 25. These are all from the 80s and 90s, by the way, and these are three stories where Dick interacts with someone who took up the mantle of Robin after he did, and they really highlight how he has grown and matured as a character. Batman number 416 is the first post-crisis meeting of Dick Grayson and Jason Todd, and it's also where Dick confronts Bruce for the first time over his hiring of Jason. Jim Starlin creates an enormous amount of aggressive tension between the two former partners and also has Dick earnings Jason's respect and vice versa throughout what is a great one-and-done story. Plus, it seeds some of what we'll see in A Death in the Family and is nicely bookended by a scene in New Titans number 55 where Dick confronts Bruce about Jason's death and Bruce just flat-out decks him. That, of course, leads into Year 3 and A Lonely Place. But it really is one of the few times where we get to see the post-crisis Dick Grayson and Jason Todd together as Nightwing and Robin, and it's one of the best single issues of Batman ever done. Again, in my humble opinion. New Titans 65, it's both a standalone story featuring Dick and Tim Drake and a wrap-up of a four-parter that started in New Titans number 62. The action storyline involves the return of Deathstroke, a sewer demon named Scourge, and... It's actually one of the better of the early Wolfman Grummet issues. Uh, The Dick-Tim thing is Tim arriving at Dick's apartment to ask for some help with some training, which is something Bruce recommended that he do. There's a whole sequence of them sitting and just watching a merry-go-round, and then Dick teaching Tim how to properly observe, as well as some other stuff that is just really great. It shows how Marv Wolfman really knew this character and did great things with him. And if you follow this up with a story from Chuck Dixon, who took what Marv Wolfman did and ran with it, which is Nightwing number 25, you see that Dick and Tim right before No Man's Land, and long after Tim has come to his own as Robin, at a time when he's basically Dick's like younger brother in a way. So it's going from one of Batman's greatest failures to one of Batman's greatest successes through the lens of a guy who was, for lack of a better word, almost like his son, and who's maturing into his adult role of Nightwing goes way beyond ultra-violent confrontations in alleyways and... Fuck Batman. But like I said, I'm not podcasting about Dick Grayson. I'm podcasting about the Titans, specifically several issues from the classic run by Marv Wolfman and George Perez. The specific issues are that are part of uh, what's contained in the newer trade paperback printing the New Teen Titans. It's New Teen Titans Volume 5. What's contained in this trade paperback is issues 28 through 34 of the series as well as the second annual. What I'm going to be specifically talking about are issues 28, 29, 30, and 31 with a little peek into some of the stories beyond that. Well, why those? I'm going to take another break. When I come back, I'll tell you all about it. Stick around.
Sawete. My name is Stella, and I am the host of Backroll to Oracle, the Barbara Gordon podcast. Backroll to Oracle is a podcast dedicated to Barbara Gordon, the first woman to hold the mantle of Backroll for an extended period of time, roughly 1967 to 1988. The goal of Backroll to Oracle is to examine the character's history from her first appearance as Backroll and continuing through her tenure as Oracle. Each episode looks at a vintage issue of Detective Comics or Batman, as well as other books like Justice League and Freedom Fighters, and modern issues of Batgirl and Birds of Prey. I also keep track of news involving Batgirl and other members of the Bat family, and I have a revolving series of segments like Babs in the Tube, which highlights appearances of Babs in TV and film, Shipper Spalai, which looks at a variety of comic and pop culture couples, gives their history, and determines whether they are hot or not, Reading with Stella, which could be described as an audio drama, or just me reading a book that relates to Babs or doesn't, and of course, the mainstay literature recommendation. I have been blessed to interview writers Scott Beatty and Chuck Dixon on their Backroll Year One work, Brian Q. Miller on his Backroll run, Dwayne Swarzynski and Christy Marks on their separate Birds of Prey work, and the creators and actors of the Backroll Spoiled, the web series. I hope to interview more creators and actors in the future. My goal, most importantly, is to make a fun, entertaining, and thoughtful show that people enjoy and from which they learn. Find the show online at thebatmanuniverse.net and iTunes, and follow the show on Facebook and Twitter at Batgirl to Oracle. Thank you, and fly on, Babs lovers. behind my choosing this story goes back to my origin as a Teen Titans fan and when I really started to seriously collect comics. Like I said, I began reading the Titans back in 1990 and I was only interested in collecting the series in its present, plus a few more of the recent back issues, at least ones I could get my hands on. Then for my 14th birthday, one of my presents was that I was allowed to take my dad to the comic store and I could pick out whatever I wanted within reason. There were a number of 80s books, many of them crisis crossovers because I was really getting into getting everything crisis related that I could get my hands on, and on what was then a sparsely populated graphic novels and trade paperback bookcase, I found a copy of The Judas Contract. Now, I'd heard of the character of Terra, and I knew she was dead because I had bought all of Millennium out of the back issue bins. I actually typed that out and wrote it down for you to hear anyway i'd never heard of the judas contract but i i I had never read it so i was like well it was my birthday my dad was buying this stuff for me it wasn't that expensive so i picked it up i took it with me on a long car ride to niagara falls I read it at least a few times. That was a trip, too. That was my first time out of the country. I didn't meet a girl there, which was surprising, considering it seemed like everyone I knew had a girlfriend from Niagara Falls. Anyway, I devoured that. I devoured a number of comics on the way up, and because it was one of those mammoth drives that I think you wind up doing at least once in your life. I think it was like a 10-hour drive or something. Anyway, when I got back, I had a bug for Titans issues. 
But the reason that I'm not covering the Judas contract per se, and I'm actually rewinding a year prior, has to do with a comic that I covered in part three of my blog post series, and that is Independent Comics Group's The Teen Titans Index Number 4, which is published back in 1986 or so. My friend Harris had this comic, and for a while, when I was at his house, we would swap comics, and this would be the one that I would flip through on a regular basis, because not only did it cover the issues that I had in the Judas contract trade, but it also covered everything that led up to that storyline, things that the trade didn't collect. I wanted all of it. I mean, I wanted all the new Teen Titans books, all the way from DC Comics Presents number 26 up to what was then the present. But this is where I decided to start, especially since I was pretty sure I had seen a number of those comics in the back issue bins at my LCS. I was right, too. I think all of the issues featured in that Titans Index, except number 34, Annual 2, and the Judas Contract chapters, were books that I was able to pick up for under $2. I can't remember what I paid for the individual issues of the Judas contract because I had them in trade, so I bought them years later just for completion's sake. But I do remember that issue 34 was harder to come by. It ultimately cost me probably about like seven bucks, and I might have bought it throughout Mile High Comics, maybe somewhere else. It wasn't from uh, Bob. But as I uh, mentioned in that post... These books, again, easily found for under $2, and even today I come across copies and bins way more than I do random issues of the Baxter series. Not that I need them or anything. I, after all, I've got the entire series in single issue, and I've got all the trades so far. But this was my first foray into the best of the Teen Titans stories, and, well, they still hold up in my mind as one of the best stretches of Titans comics ever produced. Like I said, if you're reading along at home, I'm going to cover four issues. The New Teen Titans, 28, 29, 30, and 31, with some other things that happen later on. And instead of going with a plot and then a review, I'm just going to do it all at once. So here we go. Stay, stay with me here. Okay, here we go. Now, previously on New Teen Titans, the group was recruited by Raven to fight her father, Trigon, who is an interdimensional satanic overlord. They banish him to a prison dimension, and then they continue adventuring. Meanwhile, Slade Wilson, also known as Deathstroke the Terminator, picks up a contract from the Hive to track down and capture the Titans. We've got Adventures on Paradise Island, the search for the killers of the Doom Patrol that brings the Titans up against the Brotherhood of Evil, the threat of a mad Zandian cult leader named Brother Blood, an off-world adventure on Starfire's home planet of Tamaran, and a case involving runaways who are being recruited by the mob to sell drugs. Uh, that two-issue storyline, by the way, is freaking amazing, and I totally recommend it. Anyway, in those issues, a girl named Terra is attacking the Statue of Liberty. There's like a page or two, just a little bit, and Garlogan, who is also known as the Changeling, was on that particular case. And that's where we open with issue 28. He's chasing her around and he's trying to stop her, but he's hitting on her because that's what he does. And appropriately, she decks him and then she gets away. Out in Zandia, the Brotherhood of Evil attacks a bunch of Brother Blood's people. We'll get to them later. Back in New York, Corey and Donna are getting ready for their respective dates. And after George Perez give us, gives us a shot of some tasteful side boob, courtesy of Donna getting out of the shower, she heads off to her date with Terry Long while Dick and Corey decide to stay in and do it. Gar, at this point, has tracked Tara down to the Central Park Zoo, and this time he gets the upper hand and he takes her back to Titan's Tower. Later, Dick Grayson and Corey Anders are enjoying some post-coital bliss. Nah, I'm just kidding. Dick's sitting on their balcony brooding over Bethany Snow's latest praise of brother blood and takedown of the Teen Titans. Corey comes out in a bathrobe and offers to give him a back rub, and he's all, No, I gotta work. To which we all say, Dude, you do not deserve her. And I'm going to interject here because this relationship is basically the Ross and Rachel of the Titans until the latter part of the 90s when Nightwing's solo series begins, and he eventually gets around to dating Barbara Gordon, who some people think was always his one true love and Corey just got in the way or something, but... Honestly, I don't think it's anything like that. He was with Corey. It was on again, off again. She married Karis. We were on the break! <laughs> and he eventually got over that or something. But then there was that time Mirage deceived him into sleeping with her by pretending to be Corey and then the wedding. And well, just go read my blog posts. They're up on popcultureaffidavit.com. 
But seriously, you mean to tell me, Mark Andreco, that somewhere in the middle of all that, he took moments to go see Barbara on the sly? Josie's on a vacation far away. Come around and talk it over. So many things that I want to say. You know I like my girls a little bit older. I just want to use your love tonight. Anyway, Wally, Kid Flash, is having a personal crisis and is going to Raven for advice, and that's when Gar brings Terra into the tower. She regains consciousness and she fights the group before they stop her, and she says that she's basically being blackmailed into fighting the Titans because there are terrorists holding her parents hostage. Donna shows up at Terry's apartment. She sees that he's with his ex-wife and daughter, and she meets them for the first time, a moment where the temperature in the room plummets, and Marsha's all, so this is Donna. <laughs> like my mother was when she met the first girl I dated my senior year of high school. I mean, granted, this girl was all such a Long Island trash, but you really have to do the snotty, so this is her, for crying out loud. I mean, seriously, come on. Anyway, Donna leaves. She heads back to her apartment now. If you were paying attention a few pages earlier, you know that Dick and Corey decided to head out to see Adrian Chase about the brother blood Bethany Snow thing. So Donna's going to come back to an empty apartment. But if you're writing fan fiction, this takes a much different turn when Donna gets home. Oh, and something about Cyborg, Terra, Raven, Kid Flash, and Changeling finding those terrorists, defeating them, even though they claim that Terra's parents are actually dead, and Terra goes berserk, which, you know what, probably should have been a sign of something, guys. She's ready to open up the freaking Earth and have it swallow all of them, like they're Amy Adams in the end of Drag Me to Hell, but you, Gar, are too much of Dog to actually pay attention. Which actually brings me to my fairly intelligent first critical point. This is an issue where you see exactly why Terra is able to infiltrate the Titans, and she and Deathstroke are able to take them down the way they do. There are seven members of this team, and all really all of them but Vic, Cyborg, are having serious problems. And even he's trying to deal with this friend zone issue he has surrounding Sarah Sims. Wally's having a crisis because he's not sure he wants to hero anymore. Dick's all bat pissy. Corey, well... Maybe Corey's the only one without issues here, but she's kind of chasing after Dick. Raven's all brooding because Trigon might be unleashed if she so much as smiles, so she just goes sits in her room and listens to the Smith and, and Joy Division tapes that she's had on repeat and is wearing out. Donna is dealing with Terry's ex-drama because, oh yeah, Terry is that important. I mean, Terry, seriously, Terry Long? Anyway, we then we've got Gar. Gar's just so horny that he could have had literal a literal succubus preparing to take his soul and he'd be all So in other words, this team is so distracted by the problems in their lives right now that Terra just gets right in. It's actually a pretty brilliant move when you think about it. Now on to issue number twenty-nine. This is this wonderful George Perez cover with the Brotherhood of Evil looming over Speedy who has this bow drawn against them, but he looks like really small in comparison. It's one of those amazing images that at a time when just like every single Perez cover was an amazing image and just sold the book. And we open with the Brotherhood leaving Zandia after laying waste to one of Brother Blood's temples. Blood's more or less anticipated that this was going to happen, and instead of a pilot, he has a robot at the helm of the plane they're flying, and said plane is programmed to crash into the ocean. They get out via warp, and then they head to the New York because they want the Titans. Specifically, they want Raven, who they think, because she like took on Brother Blood directly back in issue 22, they think she like knows his secret or, or something. I mean... Look, we'll get to that later, because right now, we have a Dick Grayson weightlifting montage.
Donna interrupts him, and she starts lecturing about how he's pushing himself too hard, and he's trying to compensate for something, then he's trying to be Batman or something, when we know what she's really thinking about is how she is with Terry, when she clearly could have had a shot at this fine hunk of beefcake who's kicking a heavy bag in front of her. Then she walks through Titan's Tower, and she thinks about how terrible she was with Terry the night before, and she blames herself for it. To which I say, why are you blaming yourself? You didn't break those two up. Terry's the one who put you in an awkward situation. You should dump his ass. And I'm going to take a moment to speculate how these two actually met, because his first appearance is New Teen Titans number 8, and I think it's implied that they were already dating... And I think it's also implied that she might have been his student at one point. The age difference between them is, I think, I've read different places where he's supposed to be closer to 40 and other places where it says he's about 10 years her senior. But even if it's 19 and 29, I don't know. It's like, if if, if it's 10 years, it's because he's he's rocking the, the, fro, the, the redhead fro and the soft rock beard. It makes him look older. But I don't know. Like, I don't know. I honestly don't know. They, they never really do tell you when, when or how they met. They just, they met. But seriously, if she was his student, um, doesn't that violate a billion ethics rules on whatever college was stupid enough to hire this man? I mean, what if it wasn't some creepy student-teacher relationship either? Like, what if he actually was out, like, trawling for girls in a bar in, like, the, the village or Soho or something? Or, ooh, wait a second, I know. T Terry's the cool professor. Yeah, he's the one... Yeah, he's the one who hangs out in the student bars. So, like, he goes down to, like, NYU, like, Friday night, Saturday night, around, like, 10 or 11 o'clock, and he buys beer for, like, the girls who got in on an underage ID or something like that. And Donna, by the way... I mean, granted, this is 1983. Donna would have legally been allowed to drink in New York because the legal drinking age at the time was actually 19, and it wouldn't become 21 until 1985. Anyway, Terry Long is a freaking skis. Young teacher, the subject of school girl fantasy. She wants him so badly. Knows what she wants to be Inside her There's longing This girl's an open page Bookmarking She's so close now This girl is half his age was I? Oh yeah, she's all about to head over to Terry to make up, conveniently after seeing Beefcake Grayson pumping his iron. But not before she sees Corey and gives her relationship advice. Corey can't understand why Dick is being so distant and shutting her out. Donna asks Corey how she feels and Corey says, I love him. And Donna wants to know what does she know what love is? And that's a good question for that Corey has to ponder. So she decides to see if Donna's advice works by accompanying Dick to Adrian Chase's house. This, by the way, all ties into the buildup to Chase taking on the mob, his family getting killed, and then becoming the vigilante, while Dick continues to further chafe against still being Batman's partner and then eventually will decide to become Nightwing.
that's not these issues. What is these issues? Is Dick and Adrian Chase pursuing both the mob and Brother Blood? who has used his acolyte Bethany Snow to run a smear campaign against the Titans. This is an aspect of the storyline that I quite enjoyed because it was Marv and George really working the angle of the modern-day media and a supervillain story. Uh, they, of course, aren't the first people to do it. They certainly wouldn't be the last. But if you didn't have a character like Bethany Snow as a way for Brother Blood to use the press and other media to spread his influence, you wouldn't have had much of a reason to believe that he actually could spread his influence beyond Zandia. After all, you do have to remember that the reason that the Titans got involved at all with Blood was that Vic Stone's ex-girlfriend had been killed trying to escape the cult. So he's made it to the States and clearly has a game plan. Speaking of game plans, the Brotherhood of Evil is still convinced that Raven knows some sort of dark secret about him. I think it's because he literally like walked through her soul self back in issue 21 or 22. Anyway, they're teleporting the hell all over the place and they're on their way to Titan's Tower. Also on our way to Titan's Tower is Francis Kane, whose magnetic powers have returned and who kind of winds up inserting herself between Wally and his really messed up and unresolved feelings for Raven, so that's awkward. Speedy's there too, and he's showing Gar what it really means to sexually harass your teammates, but it's all interrupted by the Brotherhood of Evil, who attack and attempt to capture Raven. They basically take care of the various Titans, and Phobia uses her powers on Raven, who winds up thinking that Wally is Trigon, so she attacks Kid Flash, putting him in agonizing pain. In the very least, it makes him not want to see her anymore, so Francis will be happy. Raven flees when Wally's all... Get the hell away from me, Raven. And then uh, this leads into issue 30, where the Brotherhood escapes. Robin is witness to a supposed attack on Bethany Snow by the Church of Brother Blood. And Vic meets Mark, who has shown up at Sarah Sim's apartment and says, well, he's her fiance. Vic leaves dejected and confused. You, you got what I need. But you say he's just a friend, and you say he's just a friend. Oh, baby, you got what I need. But you say he's just a friend, but you say he's just a friend. Oh, baby, you. Now, this is actually the precursor to the plot of issue 35, because Mark is an obsessed ex who's stalking Sarah, and he takes her hostage. We don't know that yet. The real thing in this issue is that Terra is getting a new costume and more or less joins the Titans. And it happens in this indirect way. She takes Gar to her apartment, she finds a different costume, and then Gar's all, well, let's make you a Titan. But he doesn't file the paperwork or anything. He just brings her to the tower, and everybody there is recovering from brother the Brotherhood's attack and is concerned about Raven. So they're all like, well, yeah, Tara's a Titan, and Dick's all, yeah, you can help come along. She's about as much of a member at this point as Francis Kane, but it, again, it totally works. I mean, Fran is going to shuttle off to Blue Valley or Hill Valley or Riverdale or wherever the hell she lives because she doesn't have one her powers, but Tara just keeps hanging around. She gives the green kid with the crush some attention, and sooner or later, they're not going to think it's weird that she just kind of marches into battle alongside of them. And I just want to say that this is utterly brilliant planning on Slade and Tara Markov's part, and great writing on the part of Marv Wolfman and George Perez. The team is not paying attention because of all the crap that is going on that she just joins up one day. She doesn't get called in question. Especially since it's New Year's Eve and they have to go out in the middle of Times Square to rescue Raven from Brotherhood of Evil. Yeah, they'll call things into questions later on, but that's almost like damage control on her part. She can she can deal with that. She, she's got her in now. Now, they do manage to stop the villains from doing any real damage, but um, they do take off with Raven. Meanwhile, uh, Terry Long proposes to Donna Troy while dancing on New Year's Eve in New York City. Love 
accept? Does she reject him? Well, if you're a Titans fan, you know that they get married in Tales of the Teen Titans, issue number 50, and they actually procreate at one point, which I really don't want to think of. Maybe she didn't, as she thought of Dick Grayson's training montage from issue 29. Oh, I'm sure at some point Donna came to find playing Titans together with Terry to be tolerable, but you know that there were at least a few nights where she just kind of looked at him and said, Now, I will say that uh, we don't get the answer to Terry's question until issue 34, even though when Corey does find out, she's all excited and ready to plan an entire wedding. Woo! She's going to use, like, the theme of Paris and Puce. Donna doesn't know yet, and she's interrupted, but that's all interrupted by, like, the Titans flying to Zandia and rescuing Raven and everything, which is basically... um, issue 31 and 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 shit gets real because on the cover to issue 31 is raven attacking everyone and raven berserk is the headline so good stuff i remember buying this issue i remember really wanting to read this issue because i found it um and i found it in the back issue bins really really cheap uh harris and i had been snatching up all these titans back issues and um we had been really absorbed in the first storyline of the baxter series which was the return of trigon I knew this issue had some sort of connection to that, and I thought maybe that she got all red-faced in here too. So I plunked down like the buck fifty, buck seventy-five, whatever Bob at Amazing Comics was charging. And at the time, I was slightly disappointed, but now I'm really not. The cover hooks. If I didn't say already make that clear, the Brotherhood of Evil lays defeated while an angry Raven is surrounded by black smoke, but her soul self-projection has the demon face and claws that suggests Trigon. The entire cover is blues and blacks, and that just adds to the, the drama. So, how do we get to that point? Because it is in the issue. Well, the Brotherhood has her in Zandia, and the brain is having his minions put her all sort through all sorts of torture because she thinks she has the secret of her other blood. It's not until Phobia actually does something to her that we see any real effect on Raven. This begins a trippy four-page sequence where Raven is consumed by her fear of letting her emotions rule her, letting her father take over, and torturing and killing her friends. It leaves her so weakened that she kind of goes along with the Brotherhood to one of Brother Blood's pits. We're not sure what they had in mind anyway, because this is when the Titans show up and they're promptly beaten and Raven finally loses it and she totally answers the call of Cthulhu. What's funny about this next section, which is the climax of the story, is that I remember it seeming longer than it was, but it's only like three or four pages. But basically, Trigon more or less overtakes her and she has a dark phoenix moment where she is going to burn this mother down and then keep on going. And instead of the four-eyed, red-faced daughter of Satan that we would get at the beginning of the Baxter series, Perez draws her like the raven we know, but at one point gives her this look of calm satisfaction, like she's fully enjoying that she's doing this to her enemies. It's actually more frightening than the transformation that does happen later on, because with that, she had spent so much time fighting it, you were kind of prepared for it. Um, From what I've understood from some older fans, uh, you were kind of sick of it too. But I wasn't. I actually liked the whole storyline. So there you go. Again, in my humble opinion. But um, anyway... You felt bad for her at that time because she she was fighting for so long and, and it overtook her. Here, you see how easily she can step over that line when pushed in the right direction instead of being pulled by Trigon. It's only Donna snapping her out of it and finding the actual peace-loving Raven that gets her back. And while she's not completely back to full strength and the Brotherhood escapes, it's enough for the Titans to just go home. So again, why these issues? Well, like I said, this is where I originally started my back issue collection, so it holds sentimental value. 
Also, this is the beginning of the Terra Saga, where they leaned into the X-Men comparison by giving us a Kitty Pride type of character. But I don't think I realized how much they decided to go all in when it came to Raven, because this echoes the Hellfire Club portion of the Dark Phoenix Saga. I mean, it's not one for one, and I would say that Donna is probably closer to Jean Grey than Raven is, but I think you know what I mean. Plus, there are just regular, these are just regular issues. They're not bannered in any sort of way. So it would all culminate about a year and a half later in the Judas Contract, which is, of course, what I I mentioned before, and it's one of my all-time favorite comic book stories. But there are times when I find this more intriguing because of the way the teen soap opera has everyone off their guard and how that allows Tara to, like I said, weasel her way into the group. Speaking of which, after this issue, we have uh, two one-and-dones with all subplots accounted for with Thunder and Lightning and Who Killed Trident. Uh, Who Killed Trident's a great issue, by the way. Uh, Then we have issue 34, and that's where the Titans take on the Terminator and Terra is revealed to be a spy. Terra's also revealed to be 16, which makes the scene in Slade Wilson's bedroom in issue 39 really disgusting when you think about it. She's just 16. I mean, I can try and play this off by saying that Tara Markov is actually lying to the Titans and telling, and she's actually 18 or 19 um, because she needs to get in with Gar because of the way he kind of fawns over her. And I guess that might work, but come on. you know, Maybe she seduces Slade and he's not as creepy as he looks in this story, but come on. She's just 16. I wonder if they'll show that on the Titans. It's an edgy show. It's dark. It's gritty. As for the rest of the team, well, Donna accepts Terry's proposal. But I don't know how to leave you And I'll never let you fall And I don't know how you do it Making love out of nothing at all Vic will eventually confront Sarah's ex-fiance slash stalker. Gar continues to fall further in love with Tara. And Raven, well, Raven's just gonna Raven. Wally will begin uh, going out with Francis Kane. He's going to quit the team. He's going to go back to the simple life at the Brady Bunch house. And then Dick decides to be quit, quit being Robin, especially after the second annual where he sees Adrian Chase be the vigilante and after the team up with Batman and the Outsiders where he realizes that he's not only a great leader, he can be as Elda Barge as Bruce Cannon. He can lead his Blair, Joe, Natalie, and Tootie to greatness as Nightwing. And he and Corey. Really, it is such a high for uh, this title, and it leads into one of the high watermarks for DC as a whole during the uh, late Bronze Age, this early 80s period. I wasn't there. I will fully admit that. I didn't come into the Titans until 1990, and I can only look on this in total hindsight. But, you know, contrary to some opinion, it wasn't like things did completely suck in the early 90s, and that's, this is where I sought refuge. I mean, I know there's a large contingent of Titans fandom that hates everything from the Titans hunt onward, and I understand why, but that was my era, and I was excited for the new and uh, and and then catching up with the old. It was very much like when I was collecting G.I. Joe back in 87. I, I would scour the bins for any back issue, especially from ones that were like maybe a year or two older, um, and even though I didn't have a whole run, 
I would read what I had and use my imagination and context knowledge to fill in some of the gaps. This story, these particular issues, by the way, have been collected a couple of times. Uh, first, there was the Terra Incognito trade, which I think is out of print. Uh, then I believe there was an omnibus reprint, which I think is also being reprinted again. Most recently, as I mentioned, has been reprinted in volume five of the New Teen Titans trade paperbacks, all of which are excellent and at this point have been collected. They have collected the entire original Wolfman Perez run and they're on to the uh, Jose Luis Garcia Lopez, praise be his name issues. And then uh, they're going to get into some of the Eduardo Barreto stuff as far as artwork is concerned. So um, keep an eye on what, what they're soliciting through Amazon. These, these these uh, trades have been great, and I recommend picking them up. And that is my look at the Titans. Um, I'll be back in a moment with listener feedback, so stick around. Beginning in 2018, the Who's Who podcast enters the 1990s with our coverage of the Loose Leaf Editions. Featuring Superman by Jerry Ordway. The Joker by Brian Bolland. Wonder Woman by George Perez. Sandman by Mike Dringenberg. Batman by Norm Brayfogle. The JLI by Adam Hughes. Eclipso by Bart Sears. The Legion of Superheroes by Keith Giffen. Dark Stars by Travis Charest. Lobo by Simon Bisley. Kent Shakespeare by Chris Sprouse? Who is that? Doomsday by Tom Grummet. Wait, are we covering these by issue or in alphabetical order? The Justice Society of America by Mike Paravec. The Forever People again? You are f***ing kidding me. Doom Patrol by Richard Case. <sighs> I'm so confused. And many more. The Who's Who podcast, going boldly into the 90s. A proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network, I guess. back um i do have just one piece of feedback um i got some nice feedback on the baltimore comic con episode from a couple of people just over twitter and facebook and thank you very much professor allen especially who sent me this email did mention um my show on one of the recent episodes of the Quarterman podcast because I had sent him an email and he said how much he liked the syndication at this show. And I really do appreciate that. Um, it was a real labor of love. Uh, I think it kind of killed me for a little while because it was like a lot to put together, but I like flat out loved doing that entire uh, series. And I think I've said that several times. So I really do appreciate everything nice. Everybody said about me. 
and so so thank you thank you again um and, and again i also want to appreciate the people who uh chimed in and said how much they did enjoy the issue the episodes with amanda um we've got some other stuff coming up down the line where we keep talking about planning and sitting down it's just finding my finding the time to come up with notes for it and then us finding the time to sit down and record so maybe in the new year we've got a couple uh a couple episodes that we'll, we'll do together but email Professor Allen emailed me in about the Baltimore Comic Con, and he says, "Tom, as always, I enjoyed your prof- I enjoyed your Baltimore Comic Con episode very much. Now that my sister has retired elsewhere and with it our free lodging, I doubt we'll be making it back to that con anytime soon." I'm gonna interject here and say I totally understand. Um, one of the things that you know, a lot of the other people who were at the convention were staying in hotels in the area, and as I mention all the time. I stay with my in-laws in Northern Virginia. They're about an hour and a half away, but it's free lodging. So the amount of money that I pay to go to the convention is a tank of gas and a ticket for bread. So it's low cost to me. Um, You know, aside from the money I spend on food and everything else, that's, that's, I budget that elsewhere. But like, as far as, you know, travel expenses go, it's, it's not as, uh, it's not as heavy. Anyway, back into Alan's email. In terms of bucket list creators, there are probably only a few for me. Mike Grell, who I had a chance to see five or six years ago, but I got sick the weekend of the con, is my favorite creator of all time. I love that the Sutherlands have become friends with him, although I am a little jealous too. Alan, we're all jealous of the Sutherlands. We really are. <laughs> I have a chance. I hope I have a chance to meet meet him at some point, um, is what Alan says. I, I did meet him a few years ago, I believe. I think it was the year before Alan uh, came to the convention. He was there. I remember meeting, I think, John Ostrander as well. Back into Alan's email. Like you, Chuck Dixon is a favorite of mine, and I do have one book signed from him that was sent to me by a listener, but I'd still like to meet him myself. There are a few others, but I don't know that they do many comic cons as they are active in other fields as well. One of them, JMS, may be the most viable. I'd be there to see him mostly for Babylon 5, not as much for his other comics work. And as I dis- and as discussed on both Shortbox Showcase number 59 and Comics Reading Journal number 37, so double self-promotion, I started a Doctor's Doom-themed sketchbook. So that has become a con priority of late and not an inexpensive one. Big sigh there. And so he sent me a link to his post of sketches. Uh, if I remember, I will put those in the show notes. And he says, love the episode. Keep up the good work. Professor Allen, he of the Relatively Geeky Network and uh, the Dorkness to Light podcast. All excellent podcasts, and uh, I recommend you checking them out. But as for me, that'll do it. Um, I will be back later in November, uh, hopefully right before Thanksgiving, with my look at my history with VHS tapes, my VH history. VH history. I'll, I'll figure out a way to pronounce that. Um, my VHS history, as you will. Until then, you can follow me over at Twitter at PopAff, P-O-P-A-F-F, and you can join me on the Facebook group and leave reviews in iTunes. And as always, thanks for listening, and take care. Thanks for listening to Pop Culture Affidavit. All clips and media are copyright their respective copyright holders and are used for review and illustrative purposes only, so no infringement is intended. Feedback can be sent via email to popcultureaffidavit at gmail.com. You can also follow the podcast on Facebook at facebook.com slash popcultureaffidavit. For more content, including show notes, media, and essays, be sure to check out the blog, which can be found at popcultureaffidavit.com. This podcast is a proud part of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network, which is a division of the Demanza Corps of Milan, Italy. You can support all the Two True Freaks podcasts by using the Amazon.com link at twotruefreaks.com whenever you shop. Thank you for listening to Pop Culture Affidavit, and come back next time for more pop culture randomness.